Hello, listeners, and welcome to Blind Insights 2024. The simple rule is, don't mention 2023. (laughs) The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961-2020. to Welcome to Blind Insights, a podcast we call A Haphazard Guide to Living. Hosted by philosophy master David Olney and myself, a philosophy student, Tim Whiffen. I'm joined by David Olney. How are you, David? Very good, seeing it's 2024. I know, it's wild. The Parisian Olympics, is it, uh, this year? And yeah, but we'll be able to ignore another pointless event in another interesting place. <laughs> yeah, that's right, and uh, there'll be a 29th of January this year. Uh, sorry, February, uh, February, I should say. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say, there's normally a 29th of January. <laughs> Hang on, what are we talking? Ah, leap years. Yes. The big question is, what do we get to leap over? Yeah, good question. Are you one of those people that, um, you know, uh, would would classify someone born on the 29th of February as only so old as the... <laughs> there's a great movie years? I remember as a kid where a young pirate, that's exactly his problem. <laughs> it's like you know, you, you get your freedom at twenty-one, but seeing you was born on a twenty-ninth of February, <laughs> that means you're gonna get your freedom when you're eighty-four, 84. years old. Yeah. So sit down, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's a very uh, entertaining movie. Yes. I think it's literally just called the Pirate Movie. Oh, I should look that up. That sounds good. But it's the only indication I've ever had of someone born on the 29th of February, and I've always wondered, is there a formal way the world deals with this? Yeah, you would imagine there would be, uh, because, like, you know, it's licenses and everything, yeah. I suppose, but yeah. Because you can't yeah. imagine you say to mums, look, hold on, or no, we're unzipping you early. You, you really don't want that kind of unnecessary intervention, just yeah, to avoid yeah. the day that doesn't make sense. That's right. <laughs> And how the heck did February end up with 28 days and be the week, the, the month that gets an extra day? Like, why did it end up being the shorty month? I don't understand. I, we should Actually, it would be a great episode. I, a calendar episode person. Idea. Because I, I would find that fascinating because I've seen some writing about how there should actually be uh, 13 months. 13 months year. because that way we have 30 lunar cycles. Yes. Yep. And, and it would make it so that each month is 28 days. Yep. So like with the map of the world, where we should really go from the Mercator to the other one yeah. that actually puts the continents in the right place and the right size, which I now can't remember the name of because I haven't had to teach this stuff since 2020. Yes. And I haven't watched the West Wing thing since 2020, even though it's one of the funniest bits of the West Wing, yes. where they, the people come in and show the map of how the world should look. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder what the, yeah, the alternative is. Uh, I mean, there's lots of them. The different projections bound to be well again. You know, being friends with Robinson, uh, could Dimaxian, be Gal Peters. Hmm. There's a lot. I think it's the Peters. That's yeah. that's the exciting one. I think. Okay, but but the whole point here is you know again being friends with John Bruni and John's ex-wife being Ethiopian. Yes, you know he's always got to think of well, there's there's whatever day an event is on like Christmas, and then about a week later there's the Ethiopian calendar version. Yeah. So his kids get double awesome. Yeah. They get two Christmas lunches, two Easter lunches. I mean, that's... Jockey like, eggs that's, twice. That makes, how that like, makes how good is jealous. life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Well, we say Merry Christmas every time we have a drink, so we've potentially got some years at least 12 Christmases. 
<laughs> Good point. Good point. And uh, you know, what's more Christmassy than a beverage? Than a Christ- yeah, than a beverage. Yeah, particularly <laughs> when it's uh, coffee porter that's got that much coffee in it that even when I had three pints of it, I felt more wired than I felt. <laughs> I felt more wired than I felt wasted. That's a hard sentence to say, particularly with no alcohol or coffee. I'll uh, add that to my vocal warm-up uh, regime. <laughs> Which, speaking of listeners, you can obviously hear there's a little hollowness in my voice. I apologize. I'm I'm losing it, but that's okay. That's okay. He'll get it back. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's not run away from me completely yet. <laughs> and as you can tell, listeners, we really just are glad to be recording again because yeah. 2023, for all our hopes, that would be a cohesive and orderly year of podcasting. It didn't end up being that. We're going to try and be a bit more cohesive this year. Yeah. We're not going to promise, though, because, well, why would you believe us? <laughs> it's more we're just going to try and do the best we can. And for everyone whose episode is still sitting in the can from late last year, you know, we apologize, but the world really just got away. And the ridiculous thing is, even though the world got away, Tim had a look on Spotify and our number of listens went up 16% in 2023 over 2022. That's right. So thankfully we've got enough of a back catalogue that new people are discovering us and enjoying the podcast. And if we can be a bit more on track this year, we can hopefully benefit from that momentum and keep going and not piss too many of you off who got frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would like, you know, David did a very diplomatic version of sort of uh, accounting for what was mostly my lack, let's say, last year. But um, I, I can at least announce that there is more order in my life than there was 12 months ago, um, and that should be conducive to more order for this podcast. But again, We like order. I'm not going to try and make promises because you've heard them from me before. So um, thank you very much for your patience uh, if you're listening to this and uh, th- and, and understanding, and um, hopefully hopefully I can... Uh, we cannot frustrate you this year, as as David said. So, yeah, be yeah good. but it's good to be here. Um, I've missed this. Um, it's been actually quite a while since you and I have recorded. Yeah, because most of the ones I did from about September onwards were just capturing stuff and putting it in the can, where it was too good an opportunity not to. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that have kind of changed and some things that haven't changed at all. Like, you know, we're still into boots and you talked to Parkhurst and yep. that was excellent. I'm sure there'll be more of that. We've kind got of to craft. get the Jim Green boys. Yeah. We've got to definitely. have the South African accent on Blind Insights. Yep. There's, I think there's going to be some, definitely some craft people coming in. Yep. We'll get someone in about maps because I think the history of that and months and calendars. Um, yeah. Maps and calendars. Yep. Yes. An expert yes. On, on both. That would be excellent. Yep. <laughs> You've and read some interesting books in the last year as well. I have. In, in terms of the most immediate one, David Robson's book, The Expectation Effect, all about how really what we expect determines then how the prediction machine of our brain works and has a massive impact on what happens, how we feel about it, and our physical and psychological well-being. So I think it is probably as transformative a book as probably Hiram W. Smith's book, You Are What You Believe, but mm. with a heck of a lot more neuroscience to underpin it. Yeah, so. no, I'm in the middle of reading uh, You Are What You Believe now. Fantastic. Mm. I love the idea of the um, the window. Yes, the belief yeah. window. The belief and you're, you're always looking through principles. And out of principles, you get rules. Out of rules, you get behaviors. Out of behaviors, you get outcomes. And then you have to ask the question, over time, are these outcomes meeting my needs? Because if they're not, the only bit you can change 
is the principles on the belief window. It's yeah. such a powerful... Actually, it would be interesting to know if anyone has kind of picked up Hiram W. Smith's mantle, mm. who we could get in like a friend of his or maybe his son's picked up the mantle of you know, teaching this stuff. And it'd be lovely to not just talk about it, but to talk about someone who goes around talking about it and inspiring crowds. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know... You know, it's funny, I think sometimes these self-help people, because their job ends up being self-help, like they're, um, you know, doing tours and, and things like that. It's, it's interesting to know how they implement their own things in their own life when that yeah. seems so foreign to the the way that you and I might implement it. So, yeah, it's, it, yeah. And I think that's what's interesting with Hiram W. Smith is the whole time he was helping people, he was also working in very successful companies. Yes. So it was never his full-time job. It was his part-time thing he did because one of his needs was to make a difference. Yeah. And yeah, have you got to the bit where he's in the high school yet? No, I've, I think I've barely got up to chapter four. Ah, so, uh, okay. Yeah, literally just started this week. Because so. it's great when he goes into this really, really awful high school. Yeah. And the kids literally ask him, why are you here? And he's like, because I've got a need to make a difference. And one of the yeah. kids goes, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. And, and at least he's honest enough to say, I don't know, but I feel compelled to do it. Yeah. Which is exactly how I understand making a difference. I can't define it perfectly. I don't have some mystical version of how the world should be where I'm going, we either get this utopia or I'm burning it all down. It's just make a difference. That's a great, um, that's a great line. It's a good line. Well, it's recorded now, which is even better. Yeah, 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 true. <laughs> oh, listeners, a weird thing before we get on to more books. My standard uniform since we got Blind Insights t-shirts is Blind Insights t-shirts. As they are gradually getting old, I am buying new and different t-shirts. <laughs> so if you see me out in the world, you may see me in a Fretco guitar repair t-shirt. Mm. Or you may see me in a Bowdoin Brewing t-shirt. Mm -hmm. Or a Wellington Hotel t-shirt. Or an Artist Guitars t-shirt. So... If you have any inspired ideas for really cool T-shirts, email them in. Tell me where yeah. I can get them. If it's got a picture, describe the picture. Ah, the two lovely T-shirts I own that were always so nice. I'm like, yeah, but they're bests and they were presents. I don't wear them. Is Tim and Jade got me a Mikhail Bakunin T-shirt years ago, uh, <laughs> yeah. Fathers of Anarchy, which yes. I've worn this week. And Jess got me a Bletchley Park t-shirt when she was in England. So I've worn my Bletchley Park t-shirt this week. So my t-shirts used to be in their best you can't wear them category are now risking sauce and food. Yeah. But it will be okay. <laughs> I hope. Well, I hope that, uh, you know, I, I imagine Mikhail Bakunin can survive the chaos, right? That's well, I, I just do think he'll kick the sauce in the nuts. Yeah, it's Mikhail right. Bakunin after all. <laughs> like I wore him on New Year's Eve on a train. I'm figuring, when is there a better time wow. to be wearing Mikhail Bakuna? <laughs> I love that. Oh, gosh. Well, any any anarchist books on the, uh, on, on the reading list? <laughs> That's actually kind of a sad thing that aren't many. I remember mm. last year, I think it was a daily deal on Audible, was a young American academic's summary of the anarchist literature. He'd sort of done for anarchism what Elaine de Botton did for Big Ideas in Philosophy. Yeah. He'd gone like one idea from each major anarchist. Yes. But it was very academic and it wasn't the inspiring book I hoped it would be. Mm. Maybe. So this is the problem. Bakunin only wrote half a book. Yep. You know, um, was it Proudhon's book on actually most creatures are kind to each other and humans given space are kind to each other. That's a beautiful book because in a sense, 
it what's that word for it says something for someone else presages oh. um Rutger Breckman's book Humankind about how yeah. we really are kind so Proudhon's yeah. book on looking at all these different animals that look after each other and help each other you know it's a pretty amazing book for the 1870s <laughs> But I, I I don't know what we'd get out of talking about. In terms mm. of other books, I definitely want to talk about. You know, I had a massive you know Christian Cameron Miles Cameron reading fest. Like you know, I I read uh, Storming Heaven. I read the most recent book in the Aram Nestos series, and I can now say Aram Nestos without falling over it. Yeah. And one day I definitely want a robotic tiger called Aram Nestos because that'll be so cool. Oh, cool! Because I fear yeah, I can't yeah. have a real one. He'll eat everything. No, but you could have one that does flips and stuff, you know, like those robo-dogs. That sounds very cool. Look, and it could even be more leopard-sized, just 40 yeah. or 50 kilos rather than 90 to 100. Yeah, I'm willing to be flexible. St- stripes or dots, though? Yeah, but I want it to look like a tiger, so maybe it needs to be a mini tiger. <laughs> but then if they so, make a leopard one and it's cool, I'm not saying no. Fair. So, so yeah, stripes preferable. Yeah. So robotics yeah. designers, make sure when you make your robotic leopard or tiger, it can have a guide robot module. So I can literally be the test candidate for having uh, a guide robot and imagine. a pet tiger. So cool. <laughs> yes, listeners, I am a big kid. It's okay. Yeah, I'm now 5.2. There's another thing we need to talk about is how the hell did I become 5.2? <laughs> Yeah, that is a good question. I'm 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 staring down the barrel of thirty. I mean, it's a little while away, but yeah. Nah. Well, what baffles me is you know it happened. I'm like, okay, I'm one year out of my masters. I really like going to work. I really like you know playing smaller bodied acoustic guitars. I really like lots of things I do. I really like being married and doing yoga and hanging out with all my friends. And suddenly I'm a year older, and yet. I don't feel any older, and you guys will no. hear it when Tim has a chance to uh, edit the episode with Marchie. I can't remember if it's in the episode or before or after. Marchie makes the point, David, your brain is getting faster. <laughs> well, it's not meant to at this point, Marchie. When I said the same to Marchie, Marchie, your brain's still getting faster too. And he's like, no, it's you. So then we got into, no, it's you, no, it's you, Fest. And yeah, <laughs> that was silly but fun. But yeah, um, at what point do you see the consequences of the exercise, food, stress management choices you make having a direct impact. It's definitely delayed. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I mean, look, it's it's always going to be almost, there's an element to which it's, it could either be an opportunity cost, like, and you'll notice it that like, oh, I'm feeling the effects of the choices that I've made way mm. earlier that I possibly shouldn't have made or the other way around, in which case it's very difficult to prove. But I feel great. And I wonder if I hadn't have done X, Y, Z, I wouldn't Precisely. make it so great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just one of those things. And, you know, there's an interesting uh, debate that my American boss asked me to listen to last week oh. between Peter Zion and Peter Diamandis. Ah, yes. And of course, Peter Zion saying, you know, you know, the poo is about to hit us. And oh, we'll yeah. come out the other side of the poo, and it'll probably be, actually be okay for some countries after the poo. And, of course, Diane Matters says, no, it's all going to be amazing. Abundance, abundance, abundance. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not... Zion is doing a bit of overkill, but Diane yes. is absolutely loopy. Yes. But Diane also thinks he's going to be the first person to live to 200. So he, he is a nut. 
But yeah, the exactly. only thing the two guys could agree on is the really the the big thing that's going to happen in the next two years is the major breakthroughs in extending health span. And really? it's not that you live, you know, to 105, but that you live well until 85 or 90. Yeah. And I don't want to be 105. I want to live well until I'm, you know, whatever age I live to. I want to only have three months of feeling decrepit. Up until that point, I still want to be doing yoga, playing guitar, and not having to wonder, oh, if I eat that thing, will I feel terrible? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I I think I want to be 120, but I think that's because I I hope that that isn't a lonely existence by the time that. That's the other key thing here. Like, who the hell would want to make 200 if you're one of the only people who does it? Because it's going to require so much wealth. Yes. Actually, yes. that's another thing. We'd be lovely to have a debate about this. I don't know who we talk to. We need to find someone on this health span stuff. Because mm. say we can make it to 200. Yeah. There's going to be people who accept the fact that for most of those 200 years, they're going to look middle-aged. Yeah. Because what's going on is you're getting health, but you're not getting eternal youth. That's not what this is about. And then there's going to be the people who are going to spend a fortune to try and look 25 yeah. for 150 years. <laughs> And I think, I think there's going to be a lot of people that once we've got health span are going to want to look youthful. And I think we're going to literally, if health span becomes normal, I genuinely believe we'll end up with two tribes. Mm. The tribe that are grateful to be healthy enough to keep having an interesting and meaningful life connected to other people, and the chunk who want to still look like the hip young thing, when in reality they're not the hip young thing. They have a hundred years too much experience of being alive. Yes. Because yeah, part of youth is being clueless. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Have you cough? Coughing is critically important. Yeah, it is a bit. Okay. Uh, part of being youth is part of part of being you know part of <clears throat> youth is being clueless. You've got a body and brain that could do anything, but you don't know enough about being alive to know what would actually be the thing I'd get the most joy out of. You have to try stuff. And this is why this idea of asking young people to lock down at 15 at high school, I'm going to do this in uni and this is going to be my profession. Please just let me take all those people out the back and beat them across the head with a wet fish. Yeah. Like, stop being stupid. Like, people need time to work out what to do with their youth. And, you know, we can't let people stay children forever because we've seen the shit show that creates. Oh, yeah. But also, you can't demand they leap out of childhood in a millisecond. You've got to give children time to become youths, to become young adults, to become grown-ups. Yeah. With more responsibility, more support, the right kind of freedom, the right opportunities to fail without it being catastrophic. You know, safe-to-fail environments are so critical for development and confidence. And we don't have anywhere near enough of them. So, so yeah, thing well, about childhood is like a, a progressive... Um, stripping away of your innocence or something like that. It's... Man, that's a side of it too. Yeah. But in a sense, that needs to be counted with an increase in your awareness. Yes. So if it's only the negative, we've got a problem. Yeah. You know, but increasing your awareness is recognizing the more you know, the more you go, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And it necessitates, uh, um, <laughs> like, you're using up that, that, 
the kind of mental space and the sort of, all of a sudden you can't keep up with what's hip and then uh, yeah. <laughs> that's why you feel old when all of a sudden you don't understand references and things because you've spent time taking on the yeah. <laughs> the responsibility and the awareness and and just the all about kind of maturity really it's like yeah. it's a bit of a trade-off <laughs> yeah well yeah like yesterday when karen and i walked into Bowden brewing i just listened to the voices and i said hey karen are we the oldest people in here and she's like uh probably yeah and i said yeah it could probably be the parent to most of the people in this brewery yep it's like meh they're doing their thing we're doing ours the two are compatible in as much as you know we don't need to interact with them they don't need to interact with us but we can all enjoy sitting in Bowden brewing so oh totally I mean, the multi-generational kind of um, social interactions are becoming a, a, um, normalized, I guess. Or there's like, you know, when you look at, say, like, you know, teenagers taking care of people in old folks' home in, in the kind of Nordic. Mm, which has a um, huge positive impact for both groups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, the, I think those lines are just, they're, they're like completely disappearing now like it just doesn't matter yeah well unfortunately part of that is because we've got so many adult children who don't do adulting very often but also hopefully we have some adults who are very open to just treating young people like well you haven't got as much experience as me but you may know more on specifics so it's called there's there's balance in everything between there's benefits of enthusiasm versus experience yes at least hearing the other side before you shut someone down because they're either too young or too old Yes. And that seems the funny thing about being 52, is being right in the middle. Not young and not old. Well, historically, I would have already been in the old category. But it doesn't really feel old now. now. Yeah. 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 And being to know, well, how long does that go to now? I read somewhere the other week that, you know, middle age is now until at least in your 60s if you're healthy. Yeah. Well, that sort of sounds reasonable. Yeah, I'd say that. I mean, my my mum still feels basically middle-aged, I'd say. She's... In in the mid sixties, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. it's all again. I don't know where we're going to find some of these guests to talk about some of these topics, but at least if you we guys will. if you guys have an idea, like who would be potentially a good person to talk to about health span, let us yes. know. What's health span going to do to the nature of society? That'd be a great question. Yeah. One thing I've been keeping um, a very keen eye on. Uh, as as I do, and has been a weird like result of this podcast. It's not that weird, but it's you know a significant result of making this podcast is economics, mm. and I'm sure we will dive into some of that. The Price of Tomorrow was on my reading list, and yep. you've read that already. Yep, which is an amazing book because it's a technologist from Canada whose name I now have to remember, Jeff Booth, who makes mm-hmm. a wonderful argument for the fact that with the amount of technology developed, we should be in a deflationary situation where things cost less and money's worth more and money doesn't yeah. get devalued every year. But if we do that, the rich lose their on-paper value. So we're now in a world largely where neoliberal economics are saying we have to deflate the value, or sorry, we need to diminish the value of money every year and increase the value of assets every year, while technology is actually saying, no, lots of things should get cheaper. So we're now simultaneously getting pulled in a deflationary direction by technology and an inflationary direction by neoliberal ridiculous policies. And we know what happens when you pull a rubber band too far. (laughs) But again, which economist we can talk to about this, I don't know. I think... I said to Tim, I think I want to learn as much as I can about this and then probably reach out to Fadel Kaboob 
because yep. he just struck me as just so erudite and so open-minded. Mm. You know, like, you know, I think it's probably a post-Keynesian, and that seems to be the category that Fidel fits in best, who yeah. is going to best be able to deal with this. Because when I really wanted to understand deflation, I had to go back to Keynes because most of the other stuff on deflation was all written from the IMF from a neoliberal perspective going, no, bad, scary. Well, what's scary? Yeah. Assets went down in price. Money has more value and doesn't lose value every year. Yes. It means those of us who are, you know, going holy shit about the housing market in Australia um, would be in a world where those things would get cheaper and our dollars would buy more house. Yeah. How's that not a good thing for most people? Yeah. Unless on no, paper your wealth gets going zapped. the way that people want it to go. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, we're effectively about as bad about as bad here as kind of well i mean it depends on what commentary you look at right but like we're you know, definitely top three of, yeah some people call us worse than even the setting that calls the gfc so yeah who knows and anyway. i think what will make it worse here is mm. in america the gfc largely came around because of derivatives like yes. chopping bad debt up the problem here is the bad debt isn't chopped up we yep. just have a ludicrous housing market. Yeah. And I and, think that's and, what they mean it's worse because at least in America, people didn't understand derivatives. Here, we are actively pushing the prices of property up and in doing so, devaluing dollars every year. Yep. Meaning that when eventually the bubble bursts and people have to pay off the mortgage for the house that was a million dollars and is now 500000 Yeah. That price is actually exactly probably where the house should be. But you know, the crippling effects of paying off those loans to banks who are going to be rich anyway. Like the yeah. idea that we'll bail out banks in a disaster like the GFC. You know, I think you know, the more I think about Jeff Booth's book, the more I realize what the government should have done in America is not bail out any bank. But given each American who was under mortgage stress $10,000 and said, yes. make your choice. Walk away from that house, but you get to keep the ten grand to rent and get started again. Yep. Or use that ten grand to get through the next few months. Because for a lot of people, 10000 just turning up would have been enough to buy them time. And if yeah. they paid that to the banks, then the, the banks bank. would have been yeah. stable, but it also would have improved the situation of the people. As it was, the people lost their houses. We propped the banks up, and the bankers are still assholes. Yeah. Someone just got looped. Like, you know, they were missed on the CC in, yeah. the, in that email. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The people who actually could have made the biggest difference. Yeah. Because yeah. they would have decided to walk away and let the bank go down and take their ten grand, or to put the money in, but they would be doing better, and the bank would go, well, we're alive... Yeah. But people are too. Yes. Instead, we came out of it with the banks alive and irredeemable because that's how banks are. Well, not true. I have to counter that now. Like, I, I now have a Bank Australia account mm -hmm. and they frighten me that they are so ethical and are making money. <laughs> so, Bank Australia? Yeah, man. Essentially, if you read their charter, it reads like the charter for a credit union. Yeah. And when yeah, you open yeah. an account, you get one voting share, which is all any person with an account or member of staff has. Yes. Yep. 
and there are no shareholders. What, oh, it's a certified B Corp. Was this the one that used to be the teacher's bank? Am I making that up? I don't know, man. If you want to look it up, again, we should probably maybe even reach out and get someone from the comms yeah, team at Bank Australia We should to come in and talk to us about Bank Australia because just when I get my monthly email explaining how differently the bank works. Yeah. Yeah. So here in Adelaide, listeners, they have one tiny little branch in Gawler Place. Just so if Ooh. you actually need a physical branch, it's there. So I think the big bit of it is Victoria. I think there's quite a few branches in Queensland. I think Sydney, there's only the one branch. In Adelaide, there's only the one branch. But there's only like one BSB for the whole country. Uh, so it keeps it really simple. Uh, you yep. can do it all online. The app is totally accessible. That's good. Which is really nice. Um, yeah, because I had the problem with my American job of needing to get paid via bill.com and mm. having a Bank SA account uh, hooked to a branch that no longer exists so the BSB isn't really for any existing building anymore. Yeah. And Bank SA's Swift code seems to get gobbled into the Westpac one in America. I think basically when I put all my stuff into bill.com, I must have set off every security warming for Homeland Security that I was a terrorist. Because they're like, you know, BSB, we don't believe it. Now, you and I both know that that you are a terrorist, but... Yes, for you know, good. They don't, they don't have to know. <laughs> they don't know what kind of terrorist I am. That's right. <laughs> yes. I, I'm going to make a difference whether it hurts them or not. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, there's lots of um, kind of things to explore in that space. And, you know, always our self-helpy kind of things, yep. our craft uh, thing. You know, we like, we talk about craft a lot. Mm. Because craft um, good, and yeah. I definitely want to get Damien Lewis back because he's yes. now released the second book in his series on Blair Paddy Main, um, the you know, commander of the SAS in World War Two. You know, after David Sterling is captured and put in prisoner of war camps, and the second book is fascinating because it's the SAS in Italy, whereby October nineteen forty three, mm. they were basically burnt out and broken by having yeah. just been in some monumental fights that they should have lost and they literally had to go back to the UK and refit in preparation for D-Day and I think the fact that Damien is not just telling the daring do story now but he's showing them unravelling yep. you know like after the major battles you know Paddy Main just literally went loopy one night and you know beat up half his officers because yeah. he'd lost the plot Got in a car and put it into a tree and probably should have died. You know, died. Yeah. Mm. You know, lots of people by this point, even with their immense level of training and experience, are writing letters home saying, I don't think I'm going to make it back. Mm. And really, the psychology within the unit has shifted dramatically. And, and that's what we need to understand. And for me, this has been very interesting still, despite the fact it's not my job to understand these things anymore, but follow the Ukrainian war. You know, a lot of these SAS guys at the point where their minds started to fray and they needed a proper big timeout was about the 600-day mark. Yeah. Which at the time I was reading the book is where Ukraine was. So what it really means is an awful lot of, you know, high-quality frontline trips in Ukraine are now on the verge of being psychiatric casualties when there is no, you know, no sign that the war can end now in anything other than capitulation. And again, you know, might talk to Damien before we get him on to talk about the SAIS book to see how much he's following Ukraine and potentially 
I think something similar will happen now in you know the war between Israel and Hamas that really yeah. and a lot of Israeli conscripts are now turning a city into rubble and destroying the place where people live. They are essentially wiping a society from the map. Yeah. The, I think the level of psychiatric level casualty mm. in the Israeli military is going to be huge. Yeah. But again, who we could talk about, you know, with that, I don't know. Uh, and if we did talk about it, I don't know how quickly the Israelis would, you know, label us as anti-Jewish, when, of course, yeah. that's the last thing we are. And as I always made the distinction to all of you that I taught, you know, when we talk about anything to do with Israel, we are talking about the state, not the Jewish people. Yes. Because there are Jewish people all over the world, and Jewish people are not the state of Israel. Israel yeah. happens to be a Jewish state, but yeah. the state is a very different beast to the lovely and amazing culture you know, that Jewish people keep alive. Broadly the same kind of rule when talking about the CCP. Yep, and Russia. Yep. There's Russians, and then there's the Putin regime. And, yeah, and right. really, even thanks to Andrew Basovich, we can say the same thing. There's Americans and then there's Washington. And Washington's yeah. a shithole. Yeah. The fact that we're heading towards Trump versus Biden. Oh, God. Please, can't we just pick them both up by the ankles, hook them to a rope, and swing them so their heads hit? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Um, uh, so, you, you've got the kind of authors, our favourite kind of fiction... Uh, fiction, non-fiction, um, entertainment, I'm not even sure. Authors. Uh, and... Uh, well, historical, historical non-fiction. Yeah, well, again, Damien Lewis was a journalist first. Christian Cameron yeah. was an intelligence officer first. So these are people who bring so much to their writing. Yes. And again, yes. for anyone that's looking for the amazing science fiction novel, Christian Cameron's novel, which, of course, he wrote under Miles Cameron because it's, you know, uh, fantasy, sci-fi, uh, artifact space, I would say I'm putting it second after June in my favourite sci-fi novels. That is high praise. It's pretty amazing. And he's thankfully just announced there will be four more books in the Artifact Space series. Amazing. One per year. So good. I'm like, yes, David's happy. Pumps him out. And Rich in America will go, David, have you read any books you need to tell me about? And I'll be like, No. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm busy reading Christian Cameron and I'll, I'll get back to work-related books once I've had fun for a week. Yes, yes. You need those breaks to... Yeah. To, to refresh, yeah. Yep, got to be, yeah. got to remain perky, though. Particularly seeing all I really had off was four days. Yep. Which, yes. by David's standards, is a big break. It is. That said, you know, you've got a, a, a you know, different kind of work-life balance, so it's, you know, yep. it's all sustainable. It's yep. sustainable. Yep. Don't worry, he's not getting burnt out. No, I'm, I'm deliberately doing about a three-day week that sometimes becomes three and a half. Yes. And yes, I'd like another twenty to $30,000, but that would require a five-day week. And the kind of work I do now, doing the communications and marketing and business planning and corporate mentoring stuff I'm doing... To do it well, you've got to be really fresh. Yeah. So what that really yeah. means is I just need a mega pay rise from everybody. Yeah, and you know you've got too much integrity to do it yeah. poorly. So. <laughs> yeah. Yep. My own worst problem. Damn it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. As we all are. No. So uh, yeah. So authors, uh, craft. We've got uh, sort of self helpy kind of stuff. We've got um, economics, oh, maps, economics, uh, the calendar. Got- Yep, um, and geopolitics, of course. Yep. Um, as per usual, it's basically just a haphazard guide to living. So. Yep. 
Oh, he got it in there. Well done, you. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, you know, uh, Vale David Graeber as per. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Um, not that yeah, he's not really even our kind of patron saint, is he? Like, it's what just a we... beautiful line. Yeah, that's right. So, look, it's still just, you know, when you found that line, it's like, no, yes, we need that. Like, we need to change what we have at the start because that Graeber thing will always capture what we're on about in a roundabout yep. way. Yep. And in, in almost in as much as it is as what is said in it as what is not said. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, we might not have someone active listening yes. at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's been funny with that because I had to say to everyone in America where I'm meant to teach them active listening, I've been doing this since I'm two. I don't even mm. know what I do. And as I read these books, I go, oh, I do that. So I said, you guys read the books and then I'll help you design training on active listening. Because mm. if I do it, I'm just going to be telling you, do this, do that, do that with no foundations. Yes. And that's kind of a pointless way to train people. <laughs> See? Yeah. No, but, I mean, you have to, like, you know, it, um, our skills as humans have to kind of mutate in a way. That means someone has to stumble upon it almost accidentally to yep. be able to then find out, oh, actually, this that's is what worthwhile. I did. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the year. I hope that you are. Oh, uh, podcasting is awesome. It's so nice to be back. And all right, you know, we don't have a studio to sit in anymore, so they're all going to be, you know, virtual. But yeah. that's still so much better than in the next podcast. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the beauty of us doing virtual more is we probably get more guests in. Yep, because so. it's, it's easy to do because it's just our permanent default. That's it. And Riverside seems to work really well when you can run it. Zoom works well when it's just me. Yep. The great thing is we have two kinds of technology that actually work, which yeah. is not a bad place to be. Yes. So thank you very much uh, for tuning in. I uh, hope that everyone's had a fantastic start to 2024. Um, thank you for joining me, David. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, listeners. And we will be back. Thank you for listening to Blind Insights. If the ideas of this episode have inspired you, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. Do them a favour so we can make a better informed and connected world.